As you know, my Trust Premium Research Project is ongoing right now. And the purpose of it is to be able to actually put a number on the premium that customers are willing to put when they buy from a trusted salesperson compared to a less trusted salesperson. And I thought it would make a lot of sense if I actually interviewed a few trusted salespeople, and I decided to start with the most trusted salesperson I ever met in my profession life, and that's Teresa Benson. Teresa Benson was the account manager for Apple when we were working at Texas Instruments. I was the general manager of a business unit, and in this episode, I actually learned for the first time that she probably helped me triple or even quadruple my net profit on the components we were selling to Apple simply because the Apple team trusted Teresa more than others. You'll hear more about that right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of the Book of Trust and facilitator of the Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And we are live. Uh, so the context for this conversation, obviously, is Trust Freemium. This is the very exciting project that I'm working on, uh, where I realized that uh, being a trusted salesperson would actually not only increase the probability that you get business, but also increases the premium. You can actually charge a higher price, which is based on the uh, research that I started doing about five years ago. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I needed to interview someone and I needed to interview someone that you may have heard the name in previous episodes and maybe some of my articles. And she didn't even know that she was mentioned them uh, there. But uh, Teresa Benson is the best salesperson I ever met. And um, Teresa Benson is here today to tell us why she's the best salesperson that, that I ever met. So, Teresa, um, you know, I, I remember how we met. First of all, I, I never knew that we were pretty much neighbors when, when I lived in Cupertino and Sunnyvale before I moved to Texas. And, of course, I moved to Texas to run a business unit. And that's right. when we met uh, because right. you were the Apple account manager. You yeah. may have heard of a company called Apple. Uh, this yeah, is that little fruit name. company. Yes, yeah, the fruit yes, company, the company that uh, gave uh, <laughs> Forrest Gump uh, his letter with uh, some shares. <laughs> yeah. So um, you were the account manager. You generated a lot of business for me. Mm -hmm. And I, oh, really, okay. I, I really, really enjoyed working with you. So let me ask you this. And I already know that there's the official story and the real story. So I want the real story of how did you become the Texas Instruments account manager, Apple account manager? Oh, you were I told you that in confidence, but uh, okay, well, I'll go ahead. And... In confidence, I mean, there's barely anybody oh. listening. <laughs> but they're all—they're all the brightest minds if they're listening to your podcast. No, so um, here's what happened: I moved to the Bay um, after having worked in Oregon. And I was calling on this small company called 3Com, which 
most of your listeners maybe have never heard of because they don't exist anymore. But back in the day, they were the brand if you needed to connect to the internet in any way. They were huge. And so I moved down to the Bay to call on them and them exclusively. Well, I happened to move to the Bay moments before the dot-com bubble burst. And so I couldn't have timed it worse. And, um, you know, you went from uh, traffic that would be, you know, an hour to go eight miles to being able to get to the same place in 15 minutes. Um, you know, it, it became a ghost town. And one day as I was heading to my customer, uh, I discovered that they were going to lay off something like half or more than half of their workforce. And I thought, uh oh, I better find another account or else I'm going to have to move and or find a new job. And so um, my colleague had been calling on Apple. We were all on the same sales team. And so in the weekly meetings, I would hear him frustrated, not because necessarily of Apple, but more because their strategy didn't align with the rest of the PC industry. And for context, the PC industry at that time was Gateway, Compaq, Dell was, you know, making some uh, waves there. IBM still existed as a computer manufacturer. And they all had a very similar semiconductor architecture. But Apple, their whole thing was think different, right? And so none of what we were building for the PC industry was working for Apple. So our sales team was like, what are, what are we supposed to sell if we can't sell, you know, these components and we can't get the business units to sign off on building something different. And so I knew he was frustrated. And so I said, well, I've had a crush on Steve Jobs since I was 12. Maybe I'll see him on campus. I'll, I'll take Apple. I have time on my hands. And so that's how I picked up Apple is I was trying to help out a coworker and hopefully spot somebody famous in the process. Yeah, no, I, I had the same crush on Steve Jobs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I love reading his his biography. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the um, when when we met, I, I remember here's one of the things that impressed me the most about you. I showed up. So this was, uh, I think the first time we actually met in Dallas, the second time was when I came right. over uh, for a meeting that you arranged with Apple. Mm-hmm. And before the meeting, first of all, you opened up a piece of paper with an org chart that was highlighted. And you would tell me, this person is going to be in the meeting. They're not big fans of ours. This person is going to be there. This person and so on. Your knowledge of who they are, what they care about was amazing. The other thing is you would pull your phone and you start texting. I, I remember, I, I can't remember his name. He then left an open nest. What What was his name? Oh, Tony Fidel. Tony Fidel. That's right. And, and yeah. you text him. And, and I thought, that how does she have a direct? I mean, she just texts them like they're her friends. Well, because they were. I mean, I... Um, I viewed my role. So here's a crazy thing about my meeting Tony Fidel. So the very first time I met Tony, I tell this, I tell the story and he knows I tell the story. The very first time I met Tony, he yelled at me and he yelled at me so close to my face that he like kind of, you know, splattered. And, and that's before that was COVID. My, yeah, that was all before COVID. You know, it you just, could just was, beat on somebody and nobody cared. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, but he was so frustrated because we had caused a problem. There was a problem that needed to get solved. And um, I hadn't been given any context walking into that meeting. And so I walk into this first meeting that I'm having at this customer that I've just picked up. And um, I walk in and my competition is in the room. A ton of engineers are in the room. And it's almost like this um, oblong table with a chair right here that I'm supposed to sit in. And then just people all the way around. And um, Was the chair electric? <laughs> No, it felt like it. Believe me, and um, and so lights in your face. Yeah, lights in my face. He's, you know, like think Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men when he goes, "You can't handle the truth." It was one of those scenarios. Um, and the thing was, he was frustrated. And as a salesperson, you know, obviously, I learned from that experience to prepare you before you walk in a room. I wish someone had done that for me. And so. Um, the first thing I did is just listen, you know, no judgment, no, like, I just need to listen to what's going on. And obviously, it's big enough that there's like 15 people in this room. And um, I immediately, like, stepped out of the room, called Dallas, got a resource to get on a plane and arrive the very next day. We had another meeting. We couldn't solve everything right then, but we got some people from Japan on the phone and we solved it and and you know it's not it's not uh trivial um that sometimes big problems are and this is cliche but they're big opportunities if you step up as a salesperson if if you let go of ego and let go of everything that you thought something was supposed to be and instead acknowledge, okay, here's the situation we're in. I have got to solve this before anything else can happen. Um, if you do those things, you really do have an opportunity to make for a better relationship. And so um, I'd like to think it's because I built trust with them. My very first interaction with them, I acknowledged, you know what? I am not the right person. I I cannot solve your problem, but I know people who know people and I am going to solve it, you know? And um, yeah, as a result, I could text Tony. Um, you know, they were incredibly kind to me um, when I left Silicon Valley for the Midwest. Um, After this stopped speeding at you. <laughs> It only happened once. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, we still message every once in a while. Um, he lives in France now. And so if I ever get over to Paris, um, I have a standing lunch offer from him. But yeah, no, um, you know, it's just it, it goes back to trust. Like I had to show that I genuinely cared. And so I don't know if that is part Midwestern girl that it just comes out of me. But I mean, I did care. This guy needed to deliver something. And I, my company at the time was in the way of making that happen. And what a lot of people don't realize is, so that was the iPod. And um, the iPod didn't exist in the world. In fact, Creative Zen was the number one MP3 player on the market. That's right. And, um, you know, uh, 
months later, because we only had one chip on the very first iPod. And um, months later, when I was trying to diagnose what happened and why didn't we get anything, you know, um, Tony had called in as a consultant and asked for some information about one of our chips. And he had this brilliant idea, which transformed the MP3 player market. I mean, who has a creative Zen anymore except for, you know, kitsch sort of thing. Um, He had this idea because back then it was spinning platters, a hard drive, spinning platters. Um, And if you're a runner and you've got essentially a record player spinning in your pocket, um, you're going to have a lot of skips. And so he had this great concept of dumping a bunch of music into memory and then playing from memory, you know, so that you could have a couple minutes of music cued ahead of time. And we didn't have a product like that. And at the time, we weren't willing to listen because, again, he wasn't an Apple employee yet. We didn't know what he was really up to because he couldn't tell us. Um, and and so, you know, there wasn't a level of trust on either side that we were willing to do anything differently. Um, and that first year, they only sold 64000 And everybody thought, why the heck did they make MP3 players? And I mean, I have an iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it, it's 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 magic what happened as a result. You know. Uh, you it's know, really I remember you, you came uh, you came to talk to me about a component that they needed, mm-hmm. and they needed to be assured of certain volume. And I remember mm-hmm. that was wow. the year. If I remember correctly, this this would be. Some like 2003, maybe into 2004, they were selling that year, they were selling about a million iPods, maybe even less mm-hmm. than a million iPods. And mm-hmm. they said that the next year they're going to ship eight to 10 million. And I remember that nobody believed them. But you know what? There is, did you see the movie uh, Zero Dark 30? No, I okay. didn't. You have to Tell see that. It. Okay, With okay. Jessica Chastain, she played. Yeah, the, yeah. The, this is about the raid to get Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene yeah. there where Jessica Chastain, Maya, the CIA agent, uh, she just convinced everyone at the CIA that we need that she knows where Osama bin Laden is she's sitting down with the uh with the navy seal team they're playing uh horseshoes and uh one of the navy seal and the navy seals turns to the other one and he says do you really believe her i mean Osama bin Laden and the other the other seal goes yeah and the first one says really so what convinced you and he turned to her and he points with his hands and he says, her confidence. You know what, Teresa? This is exactly what I felt. Of course, it was years before Osama bin Laden. Was <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but exactly. That was when you came in and you said, they're going to ship 8 to 10 million. I was convinced. And the only thing that convinced me was your confidence. And confidence, by the way, is a big part of trust. It's It's... It's part of competence. I believe you're competent because of how confident you are. And you were right. Actually, you were wrong. They shipped more the next year because the one thing that happened in that one year gap was they came up with a weird thing called iTunes. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, um, you know, it's funny. It's a sort of a positive reinforcement loop, right? If you build trust, uh, with a customer, you can get more information from them because they trust you. And then that gives you more confidence to ask for the order or to ask of the factory because that's what we used to call headquarters, right? Um, oh, I've got to talk to the factory and see if we can do X, Y, and Z. And um, I think a big part of how I saw my role was the factory was just as much my customer as Apple was, right? And yeah. so I had to figure out what you as a business leader needed to hear and know and what your goals were and what your challenges were so that when I came and asked you for something, um, I could get you to make a decision in my favor versus the other salespeople who were also asking for, you know, things out of the, the group, just like I would a customer, you know, because I build a relationship with a customer. I need to understand their goals, understand what problems they they're having. Um, you know, I, I was always I used to call myself a jealous salesperson because I was always listening for our competition. You know, who who are they mentioning? Who's in the who's in the lobby? You know, I knew my competitors on site, and um, and so yeah, I I needed to know who was in my way, but I needed to know why they were there because that probably meant either I didn't have the right product or I didn't have the right story about the product I do have. And so I needed to figure out, okay, how do I tell our story in a way that is going to have meaning for the customer? And one of the ways that things have meaning is if you take the time to understand the customer. You know, if you just say, my widget is the best widget because of X, Y, and Z, but you don't say, hey, I know what you're trying to do is transform Apple into a total ecosystem of products. And so one of the things you're doing is building out software and other accessories to work with this new MP3 player you've just brought out. Right. If I if I just tried to pitch a power supply chip of some kind and I didn't instead acknowledge their reality, which is they were chartered with building this entirely new business for the company, I wasn't going to be successful, you know, and I, and, and I wouldn't have earned their trust. I wouldn't have earned their um, willingness to listen either. You know, and so between version one and version two of the iPod, we went from having one chip to having 40% of the power circuit, you know, the next time around. So plus my amazing components that were 1394 that nobody uses anymore. <laughs> but, exactly. that's okay. but that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's okay. It, it is what it is. And by the way, one of the biggest challenges I had at TI with this business unit was that. I saw the, the, the end of the writing that. on the wall. I, I saw the end of, I, I saw that when they stopped shipping, uh, the 1394 cable, the firewire cable with the iPod. I said, you know, the next thing is the connector and the component will follow. And, and anyway, but that yeah. uh, we, we digress. But let me ask you, if I remember correctly, 
you, you became friends with them. I mean, on, on a personal level, it wasn't just a professional relationship. I sell you buy, but, but you became mm -hmm. real friends. I tried to, you know, um, it, it's funny. Um, it, they almost felt more like coworkers than the folks in the TI sales office because I spent so much of my time there. And in fact, um, early on when calling on them, so, you know, TI had a dress code of how you needed to dress. And I remember Maxim had an even fancier dress code, like the guys had to wear ties and all this stuff. And if you remember, Apple you didn't have a dress code. You didn't have a formal like title either. I remember um, I had one guy who was a plumbing architect. He was in software. <laughs> I had another guy who was a code ninja, like that was on their business card. And so, you know, most times people came in jeans and a t-shirt, shorts, whatever. And I would have to go in there all dressed up. And so one day I asked my boss, like, hey, I hate that I looked different. Can I, when I go on, I'll come into the TI office and I'll dress up. But when I go on campus, can I at least wear jeans? And I had to ask permission, right? <laughs> and, um, but my whole strategy there was to look like them, you know, to, to be part of the team. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but anytime I brought you or anyone else from the factory in, I would wait until you all sat down. I'd wait till the Apple people sat down and then I'd sit on whatever side of the table they sat on. Yeah. Unless it was negotiations, I always sat on the side of the, the Apple folk. And yeah, I developed amazing friendships. I mean, um, one time I got incredibly sick and an administrative assistant, um, Uh, for the VP of engineering at the time, went grocery shopping and brought me orange juice and chicken soup, you know, or um, when I left, I mean, I cried my eyes out, you know, um, we had a going away party, um, like Apple people and I did, yeah. you know, uh, Apple people came to my birthday party. I mean, it, yeah, it, they, they just felt part of of my every day the way coworkers typically do um at a company yeah. they they were yeah we went to movie i don't golf in fact i just saw an article about Me how neither. yeah i never i don't you get know, it, it <laughs> i i i so what i used to do is um i'd take people to the movies you know and so um i remember taking the some of the audio team to go see the Italian job in the theater. And it was just the newest movie out. I didn't plan anything. And then it turned out um, there's a scene in it in which one of the actors says that they're going to buy some speakers with Burr Brown Dax in them. And I'm like, I swear, guys, I did not plan that. And for your listeners, T.I. had bought Burr Brown. Yeah. And I was trying to sell Burr Brown Dax into Apple. And I genuinely had no idea that that quote was in the movie. It wasn't a placement. It was just part of, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, Teresa, whatever. But, <laughs> you know, you touched on, on several parts of, of my trust model, uh, personality <laughs> compatibility. The fact that you didn't show up there as uh, I'm a TI person and this is how uh, how we dress. But you showed up as someone like them. 
Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I, I remember you, you talked about the formality of, of the company. Uh, I remember when, when I moved, they issued business cards. Nobody asked me. They, they issued business cards for me. And in TI, do you remember the, the layers there? So my layer said I was a branch manager. And so I would take those business cards and give them to people. And people would ask, well, what's a branch manager? Because, you know, at TI, was this is what we call your level. You're a branch manager. And at some point, I went back to my boss and I said, can I just order cards that say general managers? Because that's what people outside of here understand. And, you know, when you talked about sitting on their side of the table, one of the things that that you're always being warned about salespeople is that uh, they take the side of the customer. So they're on the customer side. They're not on your side. They work for mm-hmm. you. You pay them salaries, but they're on the other. They're on the customer side. And I remember that that my answer to that was, that's exactly where I want them. I want them there. I don't need them on my side. I, I'm, I'm good on my side. I need them there. I need an advocate for the customer because they need to be the ones who really, really understand. And, and you know, when you talk about trust and, and understanding the business manager inside of TI, Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I ever told you that, but you were the only salesperson in all of my time in TI who I ever disclosed my cost structure to because I was always told never, never, s- never tell salespeople what your cost is because they're going to lower the price over there. And I remember when they went from that one million to estimating eight to 10 million, they also needed a price concession. And yeah. you came in and, and you told me they're going to need a better price. And I told you, this is my cost. This is the gross margin where my boss makes my life miserable. Right. You go and do what you can. And I trust you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't even know how to explain how much that meant to me. And you, you know, no offense, but you weren't the only one. Over time, I built trust with various business units to the point that I could get that cost information. Um, and I'd like to think it's because I could sort of command a premium, you know, for for the product. But I need, I, I always tell people what I'm really good at is a blank sheet of paper and a goal, right? So I don't want entirely blank, you know, anything. I want edges. Tell me where the edges are. And I may come close to the edge, but I am going to stay within it because that's my agreement with you. You know, I said uh, earlier that I looked at the factory as a customer of mine. And so you guys have goals and objectives that you're trying to achieve. And so if I do something like go to the floor with a price, I'm not going to get what I need the next time. I will have broken trust with you, all of that stuff. Instead, my job was to set you guys up for success, you know? Um, and so wherever I could, if I could get a good margin for you, that made you look good with your leadership. That helped TI out as a whole, of course. That helped me out because that got me closer to my financial goals as a salesperson. And as long as it wasn't, you know... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it wasn't using the customer or wasn't cheating the customer. You know, it needed to be, it needed to be balanced on both sides. Then, um, yeah, I considered it a success. You know, um, it's, it's all about speaking the language of the people you're talking to. So, yeah. um, 
Like you when know, I would bring, yeah, go ahead. You you said a word here that uh, obviously you just opened the door and we're going to walk together through that door. You said premium. And oh. that is my new uh, oh, my right. new word or my new two words. Uh, the yeah. Google came in yesterday, by the way, for oh, trust. Congratulations. But, so here's what I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that because of that trust, there were times that even if our components were on par with another competitor's components, you got the business because of who you were, not because of the component? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, I, I negotiated all of our commodity product, um, for Apple. So there's differentiated products and then there's commodity product. And there were plenty of times where they could have bought any number of vendors components, but because I had delivered because I had, um, I have this expression, run your talk. So, you know, that idea of walk your talk, if you say something, then, you know, walk your talk. Well, my philosophy is run your talk. If you make a commitment, deliver ahead of schedule, you know, any, anything you can do to show that you're not just walking your talk, you're running your talk. And, um, and so when it came to commodity components, Absolutely, we gained share, not because we were any better from a chip perspective, but because of the relationships I had built, um, because of the, the honesty, like with which, because I also trust isn't just about winning business, it's winning the right business. So my customers trusted me if I said, you know what? I can't do that price. I just, I can't. So if you need to go with them, I understand, but this is my price. And sometimes they would still buy mine instead. Um, Or they, you know, there would be times when they'd come to me and say, Hey, do you have something? And I would take the time to go find out that, okay, we don't, but here's three vendors who do. So I just did a little bit of work for them and I'm not going to make money right now. But down the line, I will when it's right for us. And as a result, I got more business. You know, people trusted that I'm not going to, I'm not there to take advantage of them. I'm there to help them solve problems. And so all things being equal, they'll give me first right of refusal or better, you know? Let's let's talk about or better, because uh, you said that even if I couldn't meet the price that they wanted, they would still end up buying from me. I, I know I'm going to put you on the spot and I don't know if you can come up with a number. Can you put a number on that, a percentage to say, you know, if I was 10 percent, 20 percent higher or if our competition was 10 percent cheaper, 15 percent cheaper, they would still buy from me. What does your gut tell you? What What was that? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm trying to think. I I can think of a couple examples. It's funny. Um, You know, in sales, you learn to sell on value. So part of my brain says that, oh, no, our products were really that great. When in fact, sometimes, let's be honest, they were the exact same product as somebody else. But so... um, Except ours were prettier. They were. They Our products are prettier. Were. Our products are pink. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Probably um 
five, 10% uh, at times. Um, in, in a lot of cases, you know, we were talking about very inexpensive products, but hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a half a cent here or there times several hundred thousand starts to be a lot very quickly. Um, and, you know, a half a cent on a five cent part is pretty significant. It's, or it's even 10%. Exactly. And or, yeah, go ahead. You know, some some components, I mean, leaving the other side of it, the operational side, the P&L mm -hmm. side of it, uh, I had components that had a gross, a, a net profit margin of 5%. So yeah. if you can get a 10% higher price, our cost is the same. You tripled my net profit. You tripled my net profit. And all you did was being more trusted by the customer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you That's know how really, powerful this is? I'm actually very humbled at the moment. I hadn't really thought about it. Like, you know, you just, I don't know. I just would go about my work, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I was so meticulous about wanting to build that trust. And, and it was important to me, not only that they trust me, but they trust the people I bring in. Right. So, um, Every person who came in from the factory, I probably did this with you. I sat you down. I would go through your presentation. And um, back then, um, we talked in terms of PCs and laptops. You know, everything was PC and laptop because that's what Gateway, Compact, Dell called theirs. And I would sit there and do find and replace because at Apple, there was a joke. A laptop is the top of your thighs. That's your laptop. You know, they yeah. made portable computers. And so I would sit there and go through and change everything from laptop to portable. And then instead of PC, I don't remember what I used, but they didn't make PCs, you know, and they like I knew how it graded on them when a semiconductor vendor would come in and pitch the same crap that they're pitching to all the PC manufacturers and not even bothering to use their language. And so I would try to do anything like the org chart that you talked about at the top, you know, anything to make you guys from jump be different in some way to to speak their language to understand their goals to get some of that out of the way so that and it may have felt artificial right at the very beginning but very quickly it built trusting relationships not only with me but with my company and so i think some of it was them trusting me that they'd be willing to pay a little premium but i think it was understanding that that relationship really was between two organizations, you know, building a, a trusting relationship between customer and supplier that enabled me to ask for a premium. You well, know? I, I, I would disagree with you. I, I, I mean, having been on that side, it, it was you. It, it was you and it was the relationship that you have. I'm, I'm glad that you're humble, uh, but but this this is what it was because I worked with others yeah. and I worked with other salespeople yeah. and other customers and I didn't yeah. have what uh, what I had with you, what you oh. had with the customer. Uh, Thank this, you. This was you. And, you know, you touched on several of the components. The Even this little, what appears to be this little tiny component of uh, let's make sure that we use the same terminology. My definition of empathy, which is one of the critical yes. components of trust and, and 
what I call personality compatibility. Yeah. Empathy is not sympathy. It's not pity. It's not compassion. <laughs> empathy is your ability to see things from the other person's perspective as if you were them, not yes. as if you were you. And yes. you have that ability and that helped build that trust. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess me wearing uh, jeans and sitting on the same side of the table as them um, helped me feel like I was part of them, you yeah. know, because because I really I I I really cared about exactly. I mean, I got to know their planning managers and their product managers. Those people don't make semiconductor decisions, right? But I got to know them because what they needed drove what the engineers were going to be doing. So the more I could get to know them, they were further upstream. I could start to figure out what was headed toward my engineers, my engineers being my customer, but my engineers. I could start to figure out, okay, that's coming down the line. How can I like help them before they even know they need help? You know, just, it was all about just making sure that I was taking care of and taking care of both sides, you know, um, taking care of the factory, you know, trying to give as precise forecasts as I could. There's a guy at uh, TI, his name is Alan Beland, and I will be forever grateful to him because he taught me about pivot tables back in the day. And um, once he did, oh, God bless the ability to forecast demand and like tweak things and sit down with an Apple person and say, okay, here's what the product managers told me. Here's what you're telling me. What do you think it really is? You know, I could, I could do that crystal clear and that's all because of Alan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are running close to out of time and Teresa, first of all, you, okay. You helped make the case and hopefully uh, our listeners are listening now and understanding what it takes to be a trusted salesperson, and hopefully they see the link between being a trusted salesperson. Now let's build you up a little. Tell us what you've been up to, because a year and just over a year ago, you went full time doing your own thing. Tell us what it is. I did. Yeah. So thank you very much. And one last little thing. Um, if growing business seven and a half X in just three years, uh, is not evidence of the, what trust can do to growing revenue and building, you know, premium relationships, I don't know what, what, what is, but, it, um, yes. And since you brought this up and I'm, I'm not going to go specifically into very, very accurate numbers, but just so that our listeners know, uh, the yeah. amount of business that you brought to my business unit alone from Apple was in the tens of millions of dollars per year. That is yeah. my business alone. Yeah. And, and you worked with other businesses and mm -hmm. there was a premium there. And if that premium was 10%, only on my business, you grew my business, not to mention three times in, in profit, but you grew my business more than two, two and a half million dollars in revenue, just to yeah. put things in perspective. But tell yeah. us about you. Tell okay. us about what you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, about a year ago, um, I took a step back from what I had been doing. Um, I had been working with an agency out of Philadelphia doing strategy work with them. Um, and I had had several personal losses in 2021 and had been giving some thought to, okay, 
maybe I need to rethink how much time I'm focusing on what. And in September of last year, I, I stepped back entirely from uh, working on strategy, working on anything and spent some time volunteering and really getting intentional about what is it that I contribute and do for organizations. And what I realized is I, and I'm a quilter by hobby and, and whatnot. Um, and I realized that I'm a quilter at work too. I stitch things and people and ideas together. You know, I connected you with Apple people. I connected other business units. I connected um, people's strategies with actionable steps that they could take to achieve them. You know, I, I'm a connector of people, ideas, you know, to achieve goals. And so I reached out to a few people I knew in my network and said, hey, this is what I do. Um, if you know of a business who is looking to grow their revenue in a meaningful way, or they need help restructuring or developing product strategies or marketing strategies, I'm here. I am available and I'm good at what I do. Um, and I would love a referral. Thank you for nodding like that. You and are. You you are very good at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. And so that's what I've been doing. I work as a, a executive strategy consultant for CEOs, chief product officers, marketing teams, helping them figure out how to tell their story and the way their markets need to hear it. And also helping them see what resources they have and what they need in order to accomplish their goals. And then I set about helping them do it and what is the name of the company your radiant well so it's me but my website is radiantmeatball.com radiantmeatballs.com uh, yeah meatball one word radiantmeatball.com yeah radiantmeatball.com i'm gonna make sure that i capture it right so that we include that in the uh in the show notes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And there you'll see two two paths. One is you can read all about um, my corporate quilting. And then I am also um, an award-winning quilter, educator. I teach on artificial intelligence. I teach on um, blending artificial intelligence with marketing and business strategy, artificial intelligence and quilting and color theory. Um, I travel around the country and in fact, I'm planning uh, to make a trip to Brazil in 2024 to do a... You know, Brazil of, is not in the country. It's I do. A different, okay. It's a different country, but different that's what country. I'm saying. Is I'm finally, I'm branching out. I'm branching out beyond the United States and hope to bring um, some education down to Brazil on artificial intelligence in 2024. That That is great. Teresa, first of all, I wish you luck and whatever I can do to help, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, you are the best salesperson I ever worked with. Uh, your story, by the way, uh, is in one of my books. Well, it's actually in more than one, but in one of them specifically, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss. There is an entire chapter about your story. The only thing is all the names are different. So... Nobody, I didn't call you Teresa, I didn't call myself Yoram, I didn't call Apple, Apple, uh, but that story is there. Um, of course, now if you're reading, if anybody is reading Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss, and you reach that chapter, now you know that the salesperson is Teresa, Teresa Benson. Teresa, 
Thank you so much for being on my show today. I'm delighted to have been here. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I just, I have appreciated knowing you all these years and loved working with you. And I'm so happy to see you succeeding again. Thank you. And with that, uh, you know, back in 1972, there was a poll that asked who is the most uh, trusted man in America. And they came up with uh, uh, Walter Cronkite was with 73% the most trusted man. Well, you just heard from the most trusted salesperson in America, as far as I know. This has been Teresa Benson. This was The Trust Show, Season 11, Episode 2. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.